Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Succession is one of the best TV serial shows ever, and I was very glad at the Golden Globes to see the program win four awards. Best TV drama, not even close. And then among the kids, the adult children of the patriarch, Logan Roy, Kieran Culkin won for Best Actor. He played Roman Roy. Sarah Snook, who played Shiv Roy, that was a nickname that kind of summed up the personality, for Best Actress. And the two of them beat out Brian Cox, who played, of course, the the father. And without giving anything away, people who might be checking it out now, uh, he wasn't featured as prominently, let's say, in this uh, fourth and final season. And then, for Best Supporting Actor, Matthew Mitfadyen, who played Sarah Snook's TV husband, Tom Wamsgans, uh, and they were all always plotting against each other and betraying each other. Um, so I was really glad to see that. Uh, a lot of awards, of course, for Oppenheimer, for Barbie. And beyond that, I didn't recognize many of the shows. The Bear. How many of you had heard of The Bear before the Golden Globes? Uh, but meanwhile, now that it's no longer under the aegis of the uh, Hollywood Foreign Press Association, much more uh, diverse awards giving out. The ratings were up 50% to 10 million. And the MC, Joe Coy, asked on Good Morning America about the lousy reviews for his hosting, said, I'd be lying if it doesn't hurt. You know, uh, you know, I hit like a little moment there where I was like, ah, you know, hosting is just, it's a tough gig, you know. And during the jokes that fell flat, he threw his writers under the bus. Yo, I got the gig 10 days ago. You want a perfect monologue? Shut up. You're kidding me, right? Right under the bus. The Michigan Wolverines trounced the Washington Huskies, as in state of Washington, 34 to 13 last night to win the college football championship. This was the first time Michigan has won the national title since 1997. But I have to confess, I lost so much interest in these college playoffs after Florida State was totally screwed, unbeaten season, didn't get a slot. And I think there's something fundamentally wrong with the way this goes. You know, all credit to Michigan, sure. But 
it just seems like it's done at the whim of the people who run college football. Speaking of football, there is joy here in Washington, O ye faithful, where the Washington Commanders, who everyone here still calls the Redskins, lost to Dallas, finishing the season 4-13, and and the new owner, Josh Harris, fired coach Ron Rivera after four seasons. It's important, said Harris, I do this personally and get this right, and then we bring in the right leadership. Meanwhile, it seems like the New England Patriots are on the verge of showing legendary coach Bill Belichick the door. He got really uh, snappish with reporters. I've answered that question three times, but he just didn't have the same team after Tom Brady left. Now, point of personal privilege as they say on Capitol Hill. It may be one of the snowiest cities in America, says Market Watch, but Buffalo will be the hottest housing market this year, according to a new report from Zillow. Analyzed the top 50 metro areas in the U.S., looked at a number of factors, including home value appreciation, what's expected over the next year, the availability of jobs, the speed at which homes are selling, and other factors. Buffalo rose to the top of the list, and I bring all this up because I spent four years living in Buffalo, where I went to UB, State University of Buffalo. Um, and there is there were so many really nice houses there, even though the city itself has declined, even though the weather is awful in the winter. Um, just the architecture is interesting, well-designed. And here's the kicker. The typical home in Buffalo, now valued at $248,000, where the national average is $347,000. So your money goes so much further if you buy a typical Buffalo home. And also the number of new jobs being created there. Highest among 50 uh, cities they looked at. But sliding back to football, the Buffalo Bills winning their fourth straight AFC East title by beating the Miami Dolphins. So they're going to the playoffs. Uh, They needed to win that game, and they did. I don't know if I should bore you with this. Um, Congress now is beginning an uphill push to pass new bipartisan, excuse me, bipartisan spending agreement into law, avoid a partial government shutdown next week. Nobody thinks there's going to be a shutdown. Um, Speaker Mike Johnson now taking heat from his far right flank over the deal he struck with Democrats. The hardline Democrats are panning the agreement, saying it's unacceptable. It essentially is the same agreement that Kevin McCarthy cut with the Biden White House last year when they uh, trying to avoid a suspension of the debt ceiling. But it also includes $69 billion in spending that was added as a side deal. The conservatives wanted to block that. 
Uh, one member of the uh, Freedom Caucus calling it a total failure. Uh, we'll see how it works out. I got to read this from National Review because I always read all the polls about Republicans uh, believing now that January 6th is not such a big deal. 81% of Democrats, and this is a CBS News poll, believe states should disqualify former President Donald Trump from the ballot. 90% of Republicans believe states should keep Trump's name on the ballot. Independents more closely split. 44% states should remove Trump. 56% states should allow Trump. It's taken in the lead up to the January 6th anniversary. I, you know, 80, you know, maybe it's just an anti-Trump vote. But if 81% of Democrats really believe that the way to beat Donald Trump is to have the courts kick him off. And of course, SCOTUS will decide this, and I don't have much doubt that he'll be restored to these ballots in places like Maine and Colorado. Um, it's, just, it's just stunning to me. There are some Democrats who have spoken against it. United Airlines yesterday said uh, preliminary inspections of the grounded Boeing 737 MAX, MAX 9 planes have turned up loose bolts and other issues with part of the aircraft that failed on that Alaska Airlines flight over Portland. So Alaska bears some of the responsibility. In some cases, bolts needed tightening. The inspections of more than 100 Alaska and United planes made by Boeing were ordered by the FAA after a door plug blew out of the Alaska flight, causing injuries and uh, chaos, you think, but no fatalities. You know, Boeing had been struggling to rebuild its reputation after an earlier model of the MAX. You all remember this. Two crashes, killing 346 people. That was some time ago. And by the way, speaking of aircraft, uh, it looks like the... Spacecraft that was going to have an unmanned moon landing is not going to make it because of problems with fuel propulsion. And that's too bad because I was excited about it. I mean, vividly remembering the 1969 moon landing seen on a grainy footage on black and white TV. Neil Armstrong and his crew. Uh, I, I thought it was great that we were finally going back to the moon, but that will have to wait. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Story number one. President Biden gave his second of two speeches. This one at the Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston. Um, a fiery condemnation of Donald Trump, says the New York Times, linking his predecessor's efforts to overturn the 2020 election to the nation's history of white supremacy and what he called the old ghost in new garments. He drew a direct line from slavery, the Civil War, and Jim Crow to the divisions of the day. Just as it was a self-serving lie 
says Biden, to call the Confederate rebellion a noble cause, Trump's insistence that he won the election was an effort to rewrite history. Once again, said the president, there are some in this country trying to turn loss into a lie. A lie which, if allowed to live, will once again bring terrible damage to this country. And this, of course, is the church where 12 people were tragically murdered. 12 black people were tragically murdered by a crazed gunman. So the president also taking a shot at Nikki Haley, former South Carolina governor, of course, um, for refusing at that event to name slavery when asked what started the Civil War. Let me be clear, for those who don't know, slavery was the cause of the Civil War, Biden said. Now, obviously, what he's trying to do is shore up his support among black voters. 22% of black voters in six battleground stakes told pollsters from the New York Times, this is last fall, they would vote for Trump. Biden drawing 71%. Back in 2016, Trump only won 6% of black voters. Now, there was pushback. Tim Scott, former presidential candidate, South Carolina senator, uh, accused Biden of resorting to scare tactics. President Biden's visit to Charleston to stoke fears as his numbers are dropping amongst all minority groups is remarkable. But it's also indicative of the fact that people of color, Americans all across this nation, are losing confidence in the president. Jim Clyburn, who basically saved Biden's candidacy in South Carolina in 2020, was there. He's trying to help Biden again in the black community. He says, as I told you four years ago, we know Joe, but more importantly, Joe knows us. What is the poison, Biden said? White supremacy. Throughout our history, it has ripped our nation apart. It has no place in America. Not today, not tomorrow, or ever. And he said there was hope when the shooting led to the lowering of the Confederate battle flag on the Statehouse grounds, without mentioning that it was Governor Haley who led that drive because of the shooting. Meanwhile, the Hill is quoting two Democratic senators as saying that Biden shouldn't agree to any debates with Donald Trump because it would elevate the former president. I'd think twice about it, said Dick Durbin, the Senate Democratic whip. I've been physically present at one of his debates with Hillary Clinton, and I watched him do outrageous things and say outrageous things. It's just an opportunity for him to display his extremism. A close uh, Biden ally from Delaware, Chris Coons, said Trump's comments about immigration and hateful fascist remarks, immigrants poisoning the nation, that is. I was in the room for one of the debates in 2020. Chris Wallace was the moderator. Former president in no way at all respected the rules or the tradition or decorum. It was a disaster said he was speaking for himself. But since Donald Trump has blown off 
all the GOP primary debates, he don't, won't really have the standing to object. And I bet if it's these two presidents, neither one of them is going to want to debate. And it's just not going to happen. I think these are trial balloons. Story number two, a deep dive. So I did a lot of reporting yesterday for my column today about, remember there was that sort of squib and semaphore saying that top Biden campaign officials were bringing uh, prominent journalists and editors to the Wilmington headquarters to complain about Donald Trump's coverage. Well, what I am told, based on my reporting, is that, yeah, they uh, trashed the coverage of Trump. The gist of it, based on my reporting, is that the media covered Trump too much as a defendant and not enough as a candidate. Now, I think that would surprise a lot of people because Trump gets horrible coverage all the time. Terribly unfair coverage. Whether you like the guy, you don't like the guy, it's remarkable. Does he bring some of it on himself? Yes. Does he deliberately say uh, sometimes incendiary things? Sure. But what I learned is that the Biden campaign officials have been deluged with requests from journalists at major news organizations to come by, meet the staff at the uh, headquarters. And so they figured, okay, all these people want to come. We've got to organize this. And so, you know, they, it's last five or six hours. They devote a day, a day to each news organization. So far, the New York Times and Washington Post have come. Uh, also on the invite list will be uh, Fox, NPR, a bunch of other top outlets. But again, the guidance I got was that the complaints about the coverage is sort of a small fraction. A small fraction of what goes on there. You meet the digital people, you meet the communications people, you meet um, other people in different parts of the campaign structure. And, you know, they have every right to do it. Every campaign works the refs. And here there's a certain demand. And I talked to T.J. Ducklow, um, who is a senior advisor to the Biden campaign. He told me, we're grateful. So many folks have reached out expressing interest in visiting our headquarters and excited to welcome a number of, a number of reporters, producers, and editors who are covering the 2024 election to Wilmington, but what have been and will continue to be thoughtful and informative discussions about the campaign strategy, how we view the election. And then invoking a couple of speeches, the last two speeches by President Biden, Ducklow told me that democracy and freedom itself, including the freedom of an independent press, are on the line this November. And we're eager to engage in more conversations with the media about how we intend to win this election. Now, 
Some people could say this is spinning. Uh, what campaign doesn't spin? And I, I cite a couple of uh, columns here. Maureen Dowd in the New York Times notes why a lot of journalists might want to go. Thanks to Trump, journalists can be festooned with gold, lucrative book contracts, TV deals, and speaking gigs. The man who enriched himself with millions from foreign states and royalty-seeking favors from the United States has the power to enrich us, too. He's a once-in-a-lifetime story, the outlandish star of an even bigger reality show than his last. I can't argue with that in any way. I've made that point. But it still seems to me that Trump's language, you know, dictator for a day and so on, is ripped to shreds every day, especially on MSNBC. One news cycle after another until the next uproar comes about. Now, I'm going to squeeze in a bunch of other political stories into this segment. Here's Politico, Donald Trump's return to the federal courthouse in Washington today could be his most consequential court date so far. Bid to derail special counsel's Jack Smith's criminal case against him from attempting to subvert the 2020 election before the case goes to trial. This is the appeals court hearing on presidential immunity. In the same downtown courthouse, where he could face a criminal jury later this year. The three-judge panel includes two Biden appointees and one George H.W. Bush appointee scheduled to hear argument on this question. Does Trump have presidential immunity from the charges that Smith leveled against him for his bid to overturn Joe Biden's 2020 election? If the D.C. Circuit, and this, of course, will head to the Supreme Court, says yes, the charges will be dropped. If the courts say no, Trump will move one giant step closer to standing trial this year on the charges. And by the way, Trump doesn't have to be there. And it is, as um, Politico points out, simultaneously a bid to jack up the political intensity around his court proceedings, which he has used to drive fundraising and as a rallying cry to his base, as well as recognition that this fight may be a decisive legal battle. Another Trump item. Trump uh, said yesterday in a video, when there's a crash... I hope it's going to be during the next 12 months because I don't want to be Herbert Hoover, the one president. I, I just don't want to be Herbert Hoover, which reminds me that in 2020, President Trump predicted that if Joe Biden was elected, the stock market would crash and it's just hit new highs. All right, this is just wild. I don't even know what to make of it. Weeks before the 2020 election, political operative Roger Stone sat across from uh, his associate Sal Greco at a Florida restaurant. 
And this is a scoop from Mediaite. At the time, Greco was an NYPD cop working security for Stone on the side. Your conversations uh, focused on two House Democrats, Jerry Nadler and Eric Swalwell. In the audio obtained by Mediaite, Stone made threatening comments about the two lawyers. It's time to do it, Stone said. Let's go find Swalwell. It's time to do it. Then we'll see how brave the rest of them are. It's time to do it. It's either Nadler or Swalwell has to die before the election. They need to get the message. Let's go find Swalwell and get this over with. I'm not just putting up with this S anymore. And a source familiar with the discussion telling Mediaite that they believe Stone's remarks were serious. Uh, this is also wild. I have no idea whether it's true, but it's a court filing, so I will share it with you about the Georgia case. The Fulton County DA, Fannie Willis, according to Trump co-defendant Mike Roman, remember this is a RICO case with a whole bunch of other defendants, many of whom nobody's ever heard of, um, other than, for example, Jenna Ellis, who's pleaded guilty uh, and is cooperating. This co-defendant, Mike Roman, is charging that Fannie Willis allegedly engaged, this is in a court filing, in an improper, clandestine, personal relationship with the man she brought on as special prosecutor in the case against Trump. This was filed yesterday seeking to remove both Fannie Willis and special prosecutor Nathan Wade, alleging the pair were, quote, romantically involved prior to Willis awarding a contract for legal services with Wade. It's not entirely clear. This filing says when the relationship began, but it began while Wade was married. Adding that Wade filed for divorce just one day after his first contact with Willis commenced. Again, according to this motion, it's very detailed. Willis and Wade traveled personally together to such places as Napa Valley, Florida, and the Caribbean. Wade purchased tickets for both of them to travel on both the Norwegian and Royal Caribbean cruise lines, as well as hotels using funds from the same account used to receive payments under his contract with Willis. Wade has reportedly received $654,000 in compensation by the DA. The motion alleged there was no evidence that Willis was authorized by the county to use county funds to retain Wade to assist in prosecuting this case. I have no idea whether this is true. And even if it's all true, does that mean that Fannie Willis has to recuse herself? I mean, if she did these things, is she disqualified? Was it just a, a way of her getting nice perks and travel and benefits without paying Wade out of her pocket? Food for thought. By the way, CNN, University, uh, UNH poll, excuse me, University of New Hampshire, Trump 39, Nikki 32, which suggests that the more recent poll, the older poll, I should say, ARG, giving uh, Nikki trailing just by four, was not a total outlier. This is a single-digit lead. 
at uh, Town Hall last night with Brett Barron, Martha McCallum. Um, Brett asked her, saying, Governor, uh, Governor DeSantis is hitting you for claiming the retirement age is, quote, way, way too low. Where do you stand on that? I've never once said that, Haley said. But wait, wait, wait. In a Bloomberg interview, said Brett, you said anyone who says they'll leave America bankrupt, Social Security will go bankrupt, Medicare will. So we don't touch anyone's retirement, but go to people like my kids in the 20s, in their 20s, and tell them the rules have changed. Yes, for those in their 20s, Haley said. I've never said retirement age is way too low for everyone else. I mean, he's misrepresenting the facts. Ron continues to lie because he's losing. What I've always said is America should keep her promises. But rather than saying you're not going to touch it, like Ron says, we have to touch it. We have to be honest and over-communicate to those in their 20s, this is what we're going to do. And therefore, we'll make some, you know, we'll save Social Security. And it's also letting seniors and those in their 40s and 50s know, don't worry, we're not looking to touch yours. Anybody who's honest about that knows that Social Security is going to become insolvent unless some of these difficult choices are made. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Number three, the Lloyd Austin fiasco. AWOL Austin um, was moved out of intensive care on Monday at Walter Reed, but he's still in the hospital. Nobody knows how long he'll stay there. As Democrats and Republicans intensified their calls for accountability, senior officials at the White House and the Pentagon struggling to defuse the uproar. Uh, one official saying this was unbelievably bad judgment, Austin's part. Again, five days, didn't tell the media. Several days, didn't tell the Biden White House. Blamed it on his chief of staff being out. We still don't know why he went in. We still don't know what the pains were about. Politico, Democrats, top Democrats, are voicing concerns and asking tough questions before the news following the news that Lloyd Austin was hospitalized for several days before the White House was informed. Republicans are stepping up calls for him to resign or be fired. But look at this. Jack Reed, Democratic chair of Senate Armed Services, said this must never happen again. Uh, he says um, Austin is taking responsibility for the situation, but this was a serious incident. Top Democrat on House Armed Services, Adam Smith, joining the GOP chair, Mike Rogers, in saying this is not acceptable. Several questions remain unanswered, including what the medical procedure and resulting complications were, what the secretary's current health status is, how and when the, the delegation of the secretary's responses were made. This is not looking good. Now, Biden doesn't plan to fire Lloyd Austin, but man, are they trying to put, tamp this down. The Pentagon says that the retired four-star general has no plans to resign. John Kirby, Secretary Austin, will stay in the job. National Review, not exactly run by a bunch of liberal Dems, says in, sen in any sane world, this, details of this story, as reported by 
Politico, NBC, and others would require Lloyd Austin's immediate resignation. A transparently fireable offense. So he's in deep doo-doo. Number four. Jimmy Kimmel has weighed into the fray. Quick backstory here. Pat McAfee, who has a show on ESPN, had now Jets quarterback, injured quarterback Aaron Rodgers, on the show. And Rodgers popped off and tried to tie Jimmy Kimmel to Jeffrey Epstein. And McAfee wasn't having it. He accused this longtime ESPN executive of sabotaging his show. He said he didn't regret his comments. Now, there's certainly going to be people we do not like, and they do not like us, and that's how it's going to be. I'll take, take back anything I said. But remember, ESPN is owned by Disney. And another Disney employee at ABC is Kimmel. Um, he threatened to, has threatened legal action against Aaron Rodgers. So this was his uh, monologue last night. Says that Rogers went on a show on ESPN, out of the blue insinuated that I was nervous because the Jeffrey Epstein list was coming out. He says I was hoping it wouldn't and that he was going to pop a bottle of something to celebrate. And then it did come out. And of course, says Kimmel, my name wasn't on it and isn't on it and won't ever be on it. I don't know Jeffrey Epstein. I've never met Jeffrey Epstein. I'm not on a list. I was not on a plane or an island or anything ever. Either he actually believes my name was going to be on Epstein's list, which is insane, or the more likely scenario is he doesn't actually believe it, that he just said it because he's mad at me for making fun of his top knot and his lies about being vaccinated, referring to Aaron Rodgers. So he saw, maybe to retaliate, he decided to insinuate that I am a pedophile. This is how these nuts do it now. You don't like Trump, you're a pedophile. It's their go-to move. And it shows you how much they actually care about pedophilia. He called Aaron Rodgers a hamster brain man. He genuinely thinks that because God gave him the ability to throw a ball, he's smarter than everyone else. All right, number five. Slightly complicated to follow, but I think it's important to, to talk about. Business Insider and its German parent company are at odds over reporting of plagiarism allegations. So Business Insider published two stories last week going after a prominent former MIT professor by the name of Neri Oxman, saying that, that she repeatedly plagiarized in her academic work including lifting from Wikipedia more than a dozen times. Now, why does Business Insider care about Neri Oxman? Why do we care about Neri Oxman? Because she is married to billionaire investor Bill Ackman, who spent weeks pressuring Harvard to oust its president, which it finally did, Claudine Gay. Ackman wrote that a Harvard student who committed much less plagiarism than Claudine Gay 
would be forced out of the school, and I agree with that. But when Business Insider raised plagiarism concerns about his wife's work, Ackman excoriated the publication, says the Washington Post, um, accusing you know, an unethical journalism, promising to review its writer's work, and predicting that it would go bankrupt and be liquidated. He implied that Business Insider's investigations editor, who he called a known anti-Zionist, may have been willing to lead this attack because Oxman, his wife, is Israeli. So what happened is that uh, Axel Springer, the mammoth German corporation that owns Business Insider, as well as Politico, by the way, released a statement, a rather unusual statement, saying it would review the processes that led up to the article's publication while acknowledging the stories were not factually wrong. Business Insider staffers were surprised by the Axel Springer statement, which many hadn't realized was coming until a New York Times reporter shared it online, according to one uh, Business Insider employee. Now, in a Sunday afternoon email to employees that was reviewed by the Washington Post, the global editor-in-chief of Business Insider, Nicholas Carson, appeared to push back on the idea that the stories needed a review. Carlson wrote that he would welcome the review, but argued for the news value of the stories, given Oxman's position as what he called a well-known academic and startup founder. I made the call to publish both these stories, Carlson said. I stand by our story and the work that went into it. I know our process was sound. I know our newsroom's motivations are truth and accountability. Now, I don't have to tell you that for top editor to take on the parent company, not over whether there are any mistakes, nobody is alleging that, but whether it was a proper, what was the motivation? Were they trying to get even with billionaire Bill Axman by going after his wife? Bill Axman, excuse me. I think they, they may try to sort of smooth this out, but we may not have heard the last of it. Well, I told you I had a lot to uh, deal with today and every day. You know, when I do Media Buzz, I feel like we could do two hours instead of one hour and still not get everything in. But thanks for sticking with me. See you tomorrow with more BuzzFeed. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.